Good evening. Good evening indeed. Let's pray and then we're going to dive in and eat some chicken noodle soup and do the things that we do oh so well. Father in heaven, we are just so grateful for our family gathered here tonight. Lord, we ask you to bless us, to strengthen us, to protect us, and to encourage us. And may we be an encouragement for one another and the world as a whole. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. So I wanted to shift gears a little bit this week, and I wanted to shift gears and talk about something that's a love of mine, truthfully. Like, there's not even a punchline or like a joke in there. This is uh, about something that is truly, truly a love of mine. And what I hope is, I hope that after talking about this, it becomes an encouragement for you. So something that I love, that I want to share, that to be an encouragement for you. And this came about for me this week because, as I was listening to the news, unfortunately sometimes... I heard on one of the days an article about Roald Dahl. Did anybody read Roald Dahl books? James and the Giant Peach. I read Matilda. Matilda. I remember Matilda. Charlie and Chocolate Factory. The BFG, the Big Friendly Giant. Pardon? BFG. So when I was a kid, these were the books that my mom read to me. And I had this Snoopy stuffed animal that was kind of like, you know, you have your blankie or whatever you take with you. Mine was Snoopy. And my mom had been reading Matilda. Remember the headmaster swings around by the ears? My mom grabbed Snoopy by the ears and swung him around and smacked a glass of red wine everywhere on the carpet. It's pretty funny. But what was sad about this, other than these are books that all, almost all the grown-ups here read and remembered, is that Puffin, the publisher of his books, is now going and editing the books to make them more culturally sensitive. They were removing the words ugly and removing the words fat. There were... It's new language, and everything has to be very equitable, and all of these silly things. And it made my heart really sad. I actually wrote down the name. There is a company. Zach and I heard this, funny enough, on the way to school today, um, or yesterday, I should say. They use, there's a job, they call them sensitivity readers. So you all know that's not a real job. If any of you are ever like, I'd like some pastoral advice. I was thinking about applying to be a sensitivity <laughs> reader. No. But what they do is that there's a company called Inclusive Minds, and they go back through text and they change words. And, and this is tragic and it is heartbreaking because when we, we change words, we change the meaning of what an author wrote. And sometimes what authors write may be difficult for us to read. And that, that's actually okay. Nothing in Roldal's books except he wrote an autobiography, I don't know why I remember this, but he like severed part of his nose when he was a child and he ta- talked about that in his autobiography in just gruesome detail. That I remember. But. Could you sensitize that? <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe, we should, maybe we should need some sensitivity around that. But the problem is when we, change, when we change language, we change the author's original intent. And we should be very wary when people want to change the language in things that are written. And the reason that I bring this up is that reading is probably one of my favorite activities to do. You, Zach, do you want to help Felix there before Grandma gets a head full of Connect Four? Oh, no, you're fine. Uh, he just wants that behind you. He wants the toy, that Connect Four. Nope. Right. Zach, can you pass them the Connect Four? Yeah, there we go. Thank you. But Yeah, no, no, it's totally fine. Reading is probably one of my favorite activities to do. My head has always been in a book. I don't remember a time in my life where I wasn't actively reading something. My parents always encouraged me to read. 
which is funny because they always encouraged me to read, but I think it drove them totally nuts because we'd go on vacation and we'd sit at a beautiful beach somewhere. Oh, he's fine, whatever. I'd sit at a beautiful beach somewhere and I'd have my head in a book sitting in a beach. Well, it might have driven my parents crazy. It made my flight attendants love me because, because they could count on me to drive them to the mall or drive them to the grocery store and I would sit in the husband chair and read my Kindle or read my book for school. So that was pretty great. And then I got to go to Whole Foods and pick out all the food I wanted for the airplane. So it was a win-win all around. But the point is, I have always constantly been reading. I have the Kindle on my iPhone. And when I'm reading for school or I'm reading for fun, I'm bouncing around. I'm writing my highlights. There's always a book within reach somewhere. But I know this isn't the case for everybody. I know there's a lot of distractions in life. And I know there are people that just don't actually enjoy reading. And so what I want to do is I want to be a positive encouragement to help all of you here and those that are listening to get back in the habit of reading if it's something that you don't do right now. We live in the most prosperous time ever. I sometimes say that and people look at me funny, but, but truthfully, we live in the most prosperous time ever in the history of ever. Did you know that the global literacy right now is 90%? That's actually pretty incredible. In 1900... In 1900, less than 20% of the world was literate. In 1962, the world hit 42%. That's not that long ago. In 1970, uh, sorry, 1983, it was 70%. So if you think about order of magnitude gain in literacy, in just 123 years, we've had an incredible gain in worldwide literacy. Almost everybody in the world can read. And I think because of that, it's something that we can take for granted. We are all reading all the time. Even if you're just reading, you know, th those memes have words. Those are the things that look, you put them together and they make a sentence. It's interesting, you should check it out. But, right, even, even the memes we have have words on them. We are all constantly reading all day long. Everybody here, except Felix, can read. Even here, we've got... We've got a better than 90% literacy rate right here in this room. That's pretty great. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, think about it. We could grab a book behind Nietzsche and we could pass any one of those books around and everybody here could read from that book. That's pretty impressive, right? But it wouldn't have been that case 100 years ago. And so this is one of the things that I've been chewing on as I'm studying for school and working on the PhD and thinking about what, we want to what I want to study theologically. But is this idea about dominion? Genesis 126, that we have dominion over the world, that we are, we are image bearers of God and we are to care for the things that he has given us. We are to shepherd the gifts that God has given us. One of those gifts is reading. If you think about that, that 90% of the world can read now, that that is a 350% increase. A 350% increase in just over 100 years. That is a gift. That's not an accident. That's not a coincidence. That is a gift, and is one of the most important gifts that we have been given. It is a gift from God. And secondly, not just that it's a gift, you should read more, because it's a productive thing to do with your time. And we all, all of us, blow through our time in unproductive ways. I spoke about productivity a few weeks ago. Reading is a productive activity. It's educational, and it is recreational. Reading can be educational. You can almost teach yourself anything through reading. You can actually teach yourself a lot more through reading than you can by watching. Watching is helpful, but reading provides you a level of detail 
that you can't get in watching, right? It can provide diagrams and cross-references and footnotes and other publications. Think about textbooks. The school that I teach at still uses textbooks. I found out that not all kids in public prisons, schools, still use textbooks. Why do we still use textbooks? Because we expect our students to read. Not only do we expect them to read, but they also have something they can go back to in reference. I gave a test this weekend and I said, okay, these are the 15 lessons from the textbook that the test comes from. We have a resource the students can go back and read. My kids here in this room that go to Logos, they read around four books a month, give or take, three or four books a month for their humanity classes alone, plus all of their textbook reading. Most of what I have learned is from reading. I've learned antenna theory, I've learned church history, I've learned complex aerodynamics, I've learned a lot about Colorado law, motorcycle and car repair, theology, aviation law, farming, the list can go on. Bees! I learned so much about bees, I went and bought three books about bees before we ever got the hive. Smoking meat, I read a book, the food lab, kitchen book that I've been, we've been making all this delicious food from. I've learned all of these things and it all came from reading. So, literacy is so high, right? There's so much to access. We literally can get the information about anything that we want. Uh, today, I, I had an assignment for the PhD program, and it was this word study. So, look up the original word in the original language, look up what it means, and then look for synonyms in the original language. So, find synonyms in Hebrew or in Greek for this word and compare where they're used. I have... 10,000 books of theological reference on this software that I use, that I do sermon prep with and study with. And I can use it because I can read. And I actually did a part of the assignment wrong and a classmate corrected me and I went and fixed portion of it today. But because I can read and I can use these tools, I grew in my knowledge just this afternoon in something. It was educational. It was great. It was productive use of my time. But reading's also more than just education. It's also recreation. Have you ever read a really good book? Like a really, really, really good book? You cannot put it down. Good book. A good novel, an incredible story. There's a few authors that I read, and I will read everything that they write. Because they're master storytellers. Reading a good story sucks you in. You become this part of the story, right? You, you, can, you, can, you can feel it in a different way than if you were to watch it. You flex your imagination muscles. You have to imagine characters and locations and smells and sounds and, and voices. And that's a unique experience to each one of you. The author describes it, and then your brain and your imagination creates a construct of what that experience is. But have you ever thought about the importance of story? Think about how we all speak in stories. We, when we talk to each other, what did you do last weekend? Oh, man, I did this thing. We tell a story about what we did. Or, you'll never believe the time that. Or when the kids were really young, or whatever the thing was, right? We tell it in story. We speak in story. We respond in stories. Do you know why that is? Because God is the greatest storyteller in the world, and we were a part of that story. We are designed to be creatures of story. And he's woven stories all around us. That's why we connect to things through story. A great book can be relaxing. It can be rest. Not only is it restful, it can increase your vocabulary. You actually learn. It's educational all the time, even when you don't realize that you're learning. Reading exercises your brain. 
And did you know that the brain is something that can be exercised? The more you use your brain, the more information you can store. And I would imagine, without any research done, that there are health benefits to exercising your brain. I would actually be curious what the rate of dementia and Alzheimer's was 150, 200 years ago. There's no way to gather that data. But we have a lethargy of the brain going on, right? We know this. This exists. So reading is a way for us to exercise that incredible muscle. But, but if those weren't enough reasons, if I haven't sold you right now, just act now, pay separate shipping and handling, and there's more. There's another reason that you should be reading more. And it's actually the most important of them all. God has revealed himself to us through his written word. God gave us his word. What's, I have to pull it up here. My Bible's on the other way, but I'll pull up. Sophia's been working through like a daily devotional plan, which is really awesome. You see, I'm stalling as I swipe. There it goes. And she was reading John the other day, and I was pointing out the beginning of John and how the beginning of John lines up a little bit with the beginning of Genesis. That's John. But what does the beginning of John say? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. That Word, Jesus Christ, that Word revealed to us through God's written Word, accessible to us right here. There are Bibles literally everywhere. The Bible I was trying to get is open right there by Rick's knee, but I didn't grab that one, so I used the one on my phone. If I hadn't grabbed that one, I know there's two behind your elbow, and in the study there's a whole bunch of them, right? His Word is accessible. Anybody here, even if you didn't own a Bible, can easily get access to one. Somebody will give you one. Is available reliably through the Internet, all over the place, for free. Apps available for free. God's Word is more accessible than it has ever been in the history of ever. There are Bibles and access to Bibles everywhere. You can even put it on your phone. I don't recommend using the phone in church. You can. It's not going to upset me if you do. But I think there's something wonderful about having a tangible Bible that you can highlight and underline and mark in and do all of those things. The one that, the one that I preach out of, a bird's pooped in that Bible. I've spilled more coffee in it than you even know what to do with. We were at, we were at that lake day, and I was studying. I was reading the Bible. Flew over and bird pooped the Bible. If it poops on your head, that's good luck, right? So it's got to be... I wonder how that happened. How, who decided that if, if being pooped on was rare. good luck? Good luck. I think it happens even though they're around. It's not a good look or good luck. Ah, <laughs> uh, But the point is, you can, you can have a Bible everywhere that you go. It is so accessible. But you know what's really sad is even with that level of access, do you know what the statistics are for Christians who read their Bibles? It's really, really bad. Our literacy rates may be really high, but Christians who read their Bibles, people who say that they regularly read it is around 30-ish percent. So it's no wonder that we have so many wacky denominations. We have pastors saying really goofy stuff from pulpits, and nobody's recoiling because they don't even know it's unbiblical because they haven't even read their Bibles in the first place. They don't know the Word of God. How can you have faith? How can you claim to have faith in something that you don't know anything about? We have a young man that we're walking through. Most of you have met him who've been here. We're walking through a faith journey as he's moving out of one religion. He's moving out of Judaism into Christianity. He's seeing the same faith of Jesus, but, but he wants to know all the things. He has all the questions. 
And he said to me one night here, he goes, how am I supposed to believe in something I don't know anything about? Well, yeah, no kidding. Now, I'm not saying that everybody should be a biblical scholar. But there's a difference between being a biblical scholar and being biblically illiterate. Part of what we do here is help prop each other up, increasing literacy. Part of one of my purposes, scholarly, outside of just soul care, is to help you grow in knowledge of God's Word. What I've been trained in is, is His Word, the original texts, theology, how the pieces in the covenant all tie together. But we have to start by reading God's Word. Men fought, men fought and died, men fought and were martyred so that we could have God's Word accessible. Like, we forget about this. People had their tongues cut out, they were burned at the stake, they were murdered for translating the Bible into languages that made it accessible. For centuries, for centuries, corruption in the church controlled the access to God's words, God's Word, which meant that it could be manipulated by men. Because if it was in a language you didn't understand, and you couldn't read it to begin with, the only person that could read it was the one who was educated, and they could say whatever they wanted. And we still see that today. Because people haven't read God's Word. You see, this is why tyrants are always, always afraid of unlimited access to written texts. Because the written Word allows you to educate yourself, especially God's Word. See, you should not believe things that I say just because I say them. That's a terrible approach to life. I'm just as sinful and just as fallen, and I can make mistakes. And I do make mistakes just like everybody else here. So just because I say it doesn't mean that it is true. Now, I try to ensure that everything that I say is aligned with and accurate and true to God's holy word. And if there's something where I slip up or we make mistakes, because sometimes you even use the wrong word in the wrong time, meaning a different word and things, and it can change the context and meaning, right? That's why whenever there's a lack of clarity, we, we make sure that we address those things. So you should trust what I say based on training and elder oversight, but you shouldn't trust what I say because I'm also a sinner too. So the way that you figure that all out is, by what standard? The Bible. Pastor Craig said this, the Bible says that, they both align, that's copacetic. The old ancient Roman Joliath Ostinioth says some crazy things from his large mega coliseum in Texas. Uh, <laughs> ah, I got it out again. But right, but if you get up there and, and Joel Ostinioth is staying, saying that all you gotta do is, <laughs> that was his Greek name. But if he's up there and he's, he's telling you how you just have to send him four more gold bars so your life will get better, find where it says that in the Bible. You see, being literate in Scripture ensures that you're holding the people who are preaching the Word of God to you accountable to make sure they're not going off and getting deep in their own pride or deep in their own ego like we talked about last week and misrepresenting God's Word. What is there to stop people from just getting up and saying whatever they want from pretty much anywhere? Not much. The Internet has given everybody a platform to do that, and that's happened in churches as well. That's why you need to have elder boards, right, and ordination standards and educational requirements. Those are important things, but they're not enough. You have to have a body that comes together and asks, by what standard? We are to ask, by what standard, for every area of our life. And what is that standard? 
It's scripture. Which brings us right back to reading. Because if I say something like silly, which I would never say, this is one of those things where they can take the soundbite and they cut it out and say, you don't have to love your neighbor. That's the soundbite they're going to cut out just right there. I heard Craig Thai say to a group of Christians that they don't have to love their neighbor. That's the second soundbite they're going to cut out. But if I were to say something silly like that from the pulpit, none of you should nod your head yes. Huh, sounds like a really good idea. Some of you should come and talk to me. If you don't feel comfortable talking to me, some of you should talk to the elders to have them come to talk to me and say, hey, the Bible's really clear, Pastor Craig. It says you have to love your neighbor and love your enemy, and you said we don't have to. But how would you know that if you didn't read the Bible, right? You'd actually probably, probably turn to me and quote something like Mark 12, 31 and say, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, Pastor Craig. There's no commandment greater than these. Because reading Scripture helps us apply Scripture to every area of our life. And we know this because Paul says in his letter to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 3, 16 through 17, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. All, not just some for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All Scripture, it's from God. And we know that as well because Proverbs 2.6 says, The Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. You see, it is good, Scripture. It is good. It teaches us. It corrects us. It reproves us. It trains us to live a righteous life. Why? so that we can be complete, equipped for every good work. You see, the Bible equips us. Reading equips us. It allows us to go out and do every good work. We're not saved by works, but we are supposed to, you know, be different in the world. The bottom line is, reading equips you for life. Reading will help you identify false prophets. It will help you identify apostasy. Reading Scripture will give you a greater understanding of your God, of your sin, and of His mercy. It's amazing. We were making a wisecrack in the kitchen before you guys got here about wouldn't it just be nice if there was like a guidebook that told you how to live life? (laughs) There is. It literally lays out a path of righteousness for you, and it tells you what that looks like. It's right there. It's right in the Bible. It's accessible. All right. Wrapping up. So let's say you buy the argument. You're going to get two sets of the Ginsu knives, pay separate shipping and handling. They're awesome. You won't even, friends and family are going to be amazed. But let's say you buy into this, right? You say, I I think I agree. I want to read a little bit more. I want to read the Bible more. But it's overwhelming. I've got work. I've got family. I've got activities. I've got school. Now you're saying i got to do this other thing. You also said I had to pray. You said i got to come to church. You said it would be really good if I came to the outpost as well. And there's a men's group and a women's group. Like, where? Uncle. I get it. I get it. But you have to read. And if it's something that you, you don't do now, you need to think about starting. And you, it's okay to ease yourself in, right? This is especially for the guys, the type A guys in the room. We're usually like, let's go zero or Mach 11. And not a lot in between those two. It's okay to ramp, to ramp it up a little bit. Start at like 90 knots before you work your way all the way up to the speed of sound. If you're on the other end and you're reading a lot, what I would do is encourage you to look at what you're reading and making sure that you're varying it. I'll, I'll give an example of that here in a minute. Because reading is something we should look forward to. So... If you're not doing it, start small. Eat the elephant one bite at a time. I would tell you the first place to start reading is the Bible. Pick something you enjoy. Pick a book you enjoy. If you don't know where to start in the Bible, ask me and I'll tell you where to start. But if there's a book, if you're like, I, re- I love James. I like wisdom literature a lot and James is New Testament wisdom literature. And that'd be a great place for me. Like if I just need something to go read, that's where I go. You have to read a ton. Read a paragraph to start. Read three verses. 
do it at the same time each day. If you can schedule your Bible reading at the same time each day, I think that's a really, God bless you. I think that's a really good thing, right? Because routine, we've talked about routines here. Discipline equals freedom. So maybe you do a little bit of Bible reading in the morning and maybe you do some non-Bible reading in the evening. Not only am I gonna tell you you need to read the Bible, I'm gonna encourage you to go find a novel you wanna read. Find something fun. Find something that just encourages you. Maybe it's funny. I I like spy kind of like good guys shooting all the bad guys good prevailing over evil. That's my kind of novel. Or the occasional. I really like Stephen King. I really like Stephen King a lot. I hope he finds the Lord. It's interesting. He uses a lot of Bible verses in his books, and they're not always, and it's not always in a particularly negative connotation. I don't think he knows the Lord, but he's um, Who? Stephen King. But he's not, he's not, this last book I read of his some of them would get really pokey. He gets more pokey about right-leaning conservative people more than he does about Christians. Like, he will have characters in his books that are Christians. Sometimes they're a little bit goofy, but not necessarily is he picking on them all the time. But he'll definitely pick on all the right-wing conservative books. But he tells an incredible story. His imagery, his storytelling has always captivated me. So I read his books, and then I pray for him. But find something you like reading. Because if you find something you like to read, it will motivate you to read more. So maybe you read a few verses of the Bible in the morning, and you read one paragraph of a novel you enjoy in the evening. I guarantee you can stop scrolling on your phone, seriously, for the three minutes on both sides of that. You do it at the same time, you build a rhythm. And make a commitment. I'm going to do a page a day, a chapter. Start small, be reasonable. Don't go crazy. And do it at the same time. Maybe it's first thing a day, last thing. Maybe do it over your lunch break. Right? This isn't legalistic. We're not legalists here. If you miss out, it's okay. Seven lashings from Rick next week, but not even a problem. My point is try. Just go try. You don't even have to be like, in three Mondays from now, just do it. Go home tonight and grab something and read one page of Mark Twain and call it a good day. Because what's going to happen is if you find things you enjoy reading, you're going to want to do it more, which will help you with the things that you're not going to enjoy as much. But you're going to find if you enjoy doing something, you will increase how much you do it every day. Then, after you're in a good habit of the Bible and something in fiction, then grab something nonfiction. Maybe it's history. Maybe it's a hobby. Maybe it's a cookbook. See, I have to balance my reading again. When I'm in school, my reading list is dictated for me. This class I'm in right now, the reading's really interesting. That's awesome. That's not going to be the way it's going to be in all my courses. Sometimes I can't wait for higher ed to end so that I can go back to reading the things I want to read. So I try to make sure in my cycle of reading that I'm doing some things outside of school reading right now that I enjoy. What I do is a daily Bible study. I do reading for church, so prep for the outpost, prep for um, sermons. I'm always reading at least one nonfiction book. And then, like this last year, I read most of that Food Lab cookbook. It's really, really interesting. The guy that wrote it, it's like nerdy cooking. It's great, and the food turns out incredible because there's a science behind food because, you know, God had created everything. But that was one of my nonfiction books I was reading. It was awesome. Right now, I've been reading about farming and chickens. It's great. We were talking about that the other day. You asked me for the same book recommendations of what uh, that um, uh, Folks, This Ain't Normal. That book is probably one of the best self-sustaining. It's about being self-sustaining and... Um, Farming and just uh, actually his this total segue, but his whole point is that that it's the mass distribution of food that's caused a lot of the problems. It's fossil fuel problems, all of these other things, because 
people have decided like, I want fresh corn year round no matter what. Never in the history of ever could you get the fresh everything anywhere, right? You, you had dishes that were seasonal based on the food that grew. He was even just, uh, before you guys came over, I was reading about homes. He was talking about how homes were, some places had yurts because they had material to make yurts and homes in Santa Fe made out of adobe because that's what they had. And you know, if you had a log cabin up in the mountains, it's because you chopped trees down and you built a log cabin out of the logs. You were using the resources around you because God put those resources there. And so his, his kind of return back to that's pretty interesting. But, well, the other thing that I do is I keep a log. I now write down everything that I read. It's not to keep track of numbers. It's so that I can go back and look and things I want to reference. And I have a system of note-taking online and paper and pencil so that I have all my notes in a place so that I can go back and look. What did I write? What did I think? Because part of it, if you're going to use this educationally, is you should be able to go back and get something out of it. You should also read stuff you disagree with. You should read a lot of stuff you disagree with. If, if you want to talk about why critical race theory is bad, you should read books on critical race theory. And you should form opinions, not just because some talking head on the internet or television told you so. If you want to talk about why self-sustainment and farming is really good, you should read a book about it. If you want to talk about all of it, have defenses against things you, you don't believe in, too. Sometimes there's this fear, like people won't read things that they disagree with because they're afraid they're going to be swayed. Well, then you probably don't have a very firm foundation you're standing on. And actually, here's the other reality that our partisan world doesn't like to think about, is that you can get valuable pieces of information from people that you mostly disagree with. Just because you disagree with 85% of something with someone doesn't mean that there isn't a nugget of something you can get from them. And that gives you a bridge and a place to start talking to people and then share the gospel with them. So read things you disagree with. There's school. They read the Communist Manifesto. You want to fight communism? You should probably read what the communists say. They read Mein Kampf. You want to look at what evil dictators and tyrants can do? You should probably read the crazy ramblings of dictators and tyrants so you can prevent those things from happening in the future. Reading stuff you disagree with makes you more well, well-rounded as well. That's why, like, you know, it's kind of the platform for education. Ah, it is, the pla- it is the platform for education, I would agree. The other thing I'd like to encourage you to tie us back at the beginning is we need to be really aware and we need to be looking out for, for when people want to ban books, rewrite books, change history. If you don't believe me, you should go back and look at what happens when people ban books, change books, and, and limit people's access to information. There are people living in North Korea that believe, what, who's the current lunatic that runs that country? It's one of, is it Un? Un, no? I think one of them, but, but the, the current tyrannical leader of North Korea, there are people who believe that he is this godlike figure because North Korea has limited access to anything outside of North Korea. It's not good. Tyrants want to control language and they want to control literacy because they can control a message. So it doesn't matter if it's, if it's the church uh, restricting text to Latin or if it's communists banning books or if it's our current culture which is saying that words that Mark Twain wrote that were appropriate in context in Mark Twain, it's not a word any of us are going to go run around here saying. If you came in here using some of the words in that book, that's, we would have a talking to, Right? But if you were reading Mark Twain aloud and you used a word that Mark Twain used that's not a culturally sensitive word now, but it's at a different time in a different place, the author had an intent using that word. So we should be paying attention when these things happen. It can sound really 
innocent. Well, they're just changing ugly and fat, and they just they went from one of them was like women can be can write letters for for the men, and it changed now women can be leaders of industry. Like it's we got, everything's got to have a have the appropriate cultural spin on it. But the reason that tyrants want to restrict the written word is that the written word is freedom. The written word is freedom. And if you don't believe me, you should read the stories of the people in China who hide Bibles, the people in Iran who hide Bibles, because they go to prison if they have written word. The written word is freedom, because the written word allows people to self-educate. You could close every one of the public prison schools, prisons, their prisons. You can't leave, I mean, everything about it's a prison, right? You, you have to wear an ID badge. There's a guy with a gun somewhere in there. The food's moderately okay. They you can follow you into the restrooms. Then. They cannot follow you into the restrooms. You, you get on-demand medical care there that taxpayers are paying for. You can't leave of your own free will. The doors are locked from the outside. I mean, <laughs> I started to make a Venn diagram because I've, sometimes my, my opinions on things upset people. But they ha facts... Facts don't care about feelings. We want to be kind when we talk about facts, but facts are still facts. So I want to make a Venn diagram that overlapped prisons and public schools. And I realized I couldn't literally make a Venn diagram big enough. I did it on Mind Manager software, and I just kept writing words, and I was like, well, this is terrible. And where was I going with the public schools thing? Well, all you need is... Oh, so let's say you, you get... Thank you very much. Bring the train back on. Different top for different night. If you closed all of the public schools down, everybody here could still educate your children through books. You could even educate your children on stuff you don't know about. You just have to read the book first. You guys taught those kids to read? Your kids will be bilingual. They didn't even have to go to school for it. You did it in your house. It's incredible. Yeah. Amen. You see, folks, we're living in a culture that wants to ban books and control the written word again. And they want to change anything that they don't agree with. And what I'm going to tell you is don't buy in. That's why reading and having books is really important. That's why, why having a, a way to form your own opinions about things and to be educated is, is good for you. It's good for your children. It's good for your community. And it's good for your brain. And then ultimately, outside of all that, it allows you access anytime to God's Word. I really don't know how to sell it to you any better or tell you any stronger. But you have to read more. You just have to read more. And so my encouragement for you for this year is that 2023 is a year of reading and growth for everyone here. If you need recommendations, you can borrow any one of the tons of books I have, and I can give you so many recommendations. Yeah, we are going to have a little library. I guess I'll end with that. That's great. I didn't even put that in the notes. Thank you. Thanks to the generosity of people here, we purchased, right as the ground got cold and it started snowing like crazy, a little free library. It's going to go right on the end of the fence. And we bought one that looks like a barn because. And so we have already have books in, my, uh, in the closet of my study there that people have already donated. And we're going to put fiction and nonfiction in the Bible and add another one of these because I think it's great. We want people to have access to books. So read more, buy books, keep books, and don't let anybody change books. It's terrible. We see revisionist history all the time. They're changing textbooks to say some really wacky stuff. That's part of the reason it's important to keep the written word, too. Because if everything is digital... Okay, this is my last thing. It's in the notes, I know. I said I was going to keep this shorter, too. Here's the challenge 
with everything being digital. It's the same with currency. Currency was all digital. That puts everybody at an incredible amount of risk, right? Because you don't actually have anything tangible. You, you, <laughs> the, the government can actually watch everything that you do. You still need to be upfront with how you manage your money, but your money is your money. You need to be transparent. You, even if you think and know things like taxation is theft, which it is, you have to play by the rules. It's not my favorite thing to do, but you play by the rules. But your money is your money. It's not the government's money. It's the same with access to digital information. Digital information is convenient, but digital information can get changed. So if everybody now relies only on digital texts, what happens when we decide to change all the words? And then republish digital texts that you have no ability to actually save. Yes. So the books that are really important in your life, you need to have books. And those need to be, especially for you men, those need to be books that you're passing along to your children. Families used to just have one book. It was the family Bible. You'd have like the Smith's family Bible. And then when Papa Smith died, the next Smith got it. But they all lived really close to each other anyways because they were all doing life together and had an economy and it was really great. God willing, it'll happen again soon. But they had a family Bible and that got passed down. So we need to make sure we're keeping that tradition. So read more and come to me with questions and come to me with encouragements. And I'm excited to hear about what you're reading too. Share with me. Um, I'll publish my reading list too to the church so you can see what I'm reading and where my mind is. But I'd love to hear what you are because like we were exchanging texts this week. Hey, that book you talked about looks really good. Can I? This is how we all find out about these things. So let's pray and then we're going to sing and then we're going to eat.